You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 319. I'm your host, Andreas Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey Sam, hey Sam! Everybody good? Yes. Yeah, busy, busy, busy. But yeah. that's yeah, <laughs> that's that's a normal state for for all of us, eh? I, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, pretty busy it is, but fun. I I will actually go traveling up to Gothenburg or to a place called Trollhättan. Is but it where what, trolls live? Yeah, that's where the trolls live. That's, that's <laughs> the, right. The, the Russian trolls or the Scandinavian ones? <laughs> it's more Scandinavian, I would think. Okay. They actually have a good uh, film industry going in there, but that's not where I'm going. I'm going... It's called with, Trollywood? It's called Trollywood. It is. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> ah, really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm going... But I'm not going there for that. I'm going there to meet a friend of mine who happens to be a teacher. And I have promised oh. to spend a day mm. with his students talking about skepticism. And nice. why you should not wow, believe what you see awesome. and uh, what you can do about it. Nice one. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I don't know if you got, you, you've seen guys, but I started, I launched a series of videos mm-hmm. on Facebook and Instagram about the analysis of a couple of different topics in preparation for the upcoming elections. Because the weekend of this week, on the 3rd of April, we have our general elections. So you can imagine what the country looks like at the moment. Fierce battles between the two sides. And they really don't care about any of the civilized discussion kind of thing. No, No, you don't win. You don't win elections by being civilized. So So is this this voting for parliament or for the president or both? For Parliament. The President is voted on by the Parliament, so they Ah, have just elected the new President for the nation. Looks very much like the old one, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No. No? (laughs) Actually not. not. She's going to be a woman, so that's that's a box ticked. But what's Orban doing then? Uh, Orban is not the the President, he's the Prime Minister. So the President in my country doesn't have too much power, so that's that's a ceremonial position. You've told us that. I just forgot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, so it's parliamentary elections that we are preparing for. But with the Hungarian skeptics, we are launching again the vote for the Flat Earth Award. Oh, okay. So <laughs> You're voting we, on we, the Flat Earth. So I was just thinking for a while that if everybody votes for the Flat Earth, then we will all decide that it is a Flat Earth. And, yes, and that is, or we're just going to make it flat. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Putin is working on it. I mean, oh. he can flatten the whole, whole thing yeah, he's um, if, on if he's crazy yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. Seems to be. Don't you find that it's almost impossible by at this point to figure out who's telling the truth about anything? Because obviously the propaganda and and the misinformation is not present only on one side. No, that's right. So hmm. it's unbelievable. So if you compare the numbers, for example, how many people were killed, how many Russians were killed, how much of the equipment was destroyed, it's ridiculous what massive differences are in the estimations. Hmm. It's unbelievable. Can yeah. I tell you a joke? I think <laughs> sure. so. You can try. It's probably, I'm always happy for it's, jokes. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's war-related, though, but a friend of mine put it up on Facebook. You know, Putin is saying that this is basically not a war between Russia and Ukraine, but Russia and NATO, because it was provoked by the expansion of NATO. Mm-hmm. And then the guy says, yeah, but look at the numbers. There are between 7,000 and 16,000 Russian troops dead, about four to 500 tanks destroyed, about 100 warplanes and about another 100 helicopters are destroyed, and NATO has not even set foot in Ukraine. So what's going on, guys? <laughs> what kind of war is this? Oh. Yeah, so I, I hope it never happens because we don't get that far, but uh, I really hope that it stops very, very soon. Mm. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I believe that a large chunk of our news segment will still be about things going on in Russia and the world about the concerning the war. But, yeah, why don't we start with other things in the show? Hmm? What mm-hmm. do you think? Yeah. Yes. yes, sounds good. Okay. And I have a very uplifting and very positive thing to to start with, and that happens to be the item for this week in Skeptical History, or Trish. Do you remember back in the day when there was a libel case against uh, Simon Singh in the UK? Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So it was a long time ago. So the article that started the whole thing was published in, I believe, April of the year 2008 in The Guardian. Mm -hmm. And he, well, very, very rightly criticized British chiropractors and specifically the British Chiropractic Association for promoting bogus claims. Bogus claims. That was the key word. That was the key word. Happily. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the exact wording, I believe, was this organization is the respectable face of the chiropractic profession, and yet it happily promotes bogus treatments. (laughs) So So it's a happy news segment this week, or twist segment. (laughs) So it wasn't that happy at the beginning because they filed for libel. He was sued for libel by the BCA, the British Chiropractic Association. But the interesting development was that at the first ruling by Mr. Justice Edie at a preliminary healing, not healing, at a preliminary (laughs) hearing was that this sentence, happily promotes bogus treatments, was a statement of fact. I mean, Singh was stating this as a matter of fact rather than a personal opinion. Right. So that was the basis for him seemingly coming up to lose right. the case. And they said that we were not happy about it, so that's why he's wrong. No, so, so the, the, <laughs> the, the thing was that this would have meant that they were being consciously dishonest yes. about this thing and promoting something that they knew for a fact is not true. I mean, Simon did mention several issues with the lack of evidence for efficacy of uh, these treatments, specifically focusing on treatments of certain childhood conditions like uh, colic, asthma, and all that. But then he tried to appeal this decision, claiming that it was basically a matter of opinion, so that was not an assertion of fact, but a legally permissible fair comment. And why this day is important is because on the 1st of April 2010, the Royal Courts of Justice ruled that 
the High Court Justice had erred in his approach, in his judgment earlier. That was a, a quotation, by the way. And they overturned that ruling, allowing him to defend himself on the basis that it was a legally permissible fair comment. As a result of all that, not too long after that, the BCA decided to withdraw from the case and drop the case altogether, which was a good thing, but it was more important, the whole case was more important, it was a very costly one for Simon. At the beginning, it was for The Guardian, because they decided at the beginning to bear the funding for the legal case, but they wanted him to do an out-of-court settlement instead, but uh, it did not really happen. But Simon Singh managed to gather a lot of support from the international community of skeptics and science supporters. Uh, so much so that at one point there was like a, a massive attack on BCA members. Within a 24-hour period, at some point, there were 500 former complaints made within 24 hours to the BCA about some of their members um, promoting bogus claims unlawful practices yeah. yeah so it was unbelievable but then other organizations came to the rescue uh, celebrities came out in support of uh, the thing and one of the organizations that are worth mentioning definitely worth mentioning is sense about science they started a massive campaign titled keep libel laws out of science i've got one of these badges that they issued and i wore it very proudly at my first ever qed i remember that wow. <laughs> yeah and the most important part is that by 2013 a massive change has come as a result mostly as a result of this big campaign there was a real reform of the Defamation Act, of the libel reform, which uh, was basically a good discussion point for all the parties in the UK for the 2010 general elections. The end result was a Defamation Act 2013, which really made it less easy for those who wanted to start slap lawsuits yeah. against people expressing scientific facts and their opinion based on scientific facts. So the thing was that uh, there was a real fear that uh, if the BCA succeeds in silencing Simon Singh, silencing Simon Singh, that's a good sentence. Okay, so, <laughs> but not a good thing. Don't do it. Nobody silences Simon Singh, okay? <laughs> He's one of the smartest guys on earth so uh, if someone wants to silence him he will find themselves against the fury of the international skeptic community that's for sure so that was a great outcome and uh, it helped a lot in expressing critical opinion towards pseudoscience so on the 1st of april 2010 the situation changed in favor of simon singh and a few months later the bca withdrew from the case which Great. we are very happy Great about. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that very happy note, I think um, everyone around here is eager to see, or at least hear, if Pontus has something to poke the poke for. All right. Yeah. Not so long this week. Just a short report of his current activities. So mm -hmm. first of all, in a follow-up from last week, I'm happy to report that Frankie did go through with his plan and he consecrated Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of the Virgin Mary. He was joined in his efforts by bishops and congregations from all over the world. 
mostly grown-up men dressed in silly hats. And as a result, the war is now over and everybody can go home. Well done. Mm, nice. Yeah. Okay. Very, was, very Kirill, good. was Kirill there? I don't know. He is okay. technically not reporting to Francis, so I think he was sitting at home sulking. But I did see or hear that some Russian people, I, I don't know if it was the Orthodox Christians or if there are, mm -hmm. I mean, there are, of course, Catholics in Russia as well. Some participation was happening from Russia. I don't know if mm. Kirill was uh, wow, taking okay. part. Yeah. In the meanwhile, this week, Frankie is finally going to meet up with representatives of three Canadian organizations representing yeah. indigenous peoples. So as we know, and uh, have mentioned here several times, this meeting has been anticipated for years and will mainly be about the horrendous tragedy of well above a thousand children being sent to Catholic schools in Canada and ended up in unmarked graves. And um, the only thing the delegations are asking for at this point is an apology on behalf of the Catholic Church. So we mentioned this already last week, so I won't repeat too much of that again. We'll see if they finally get their apology or not. Having said that, there's actually one thing more that they are re requesting, which is a repeal of papal bulls from the 1400s. These are bulls are so... <laughs> There's a lot of bull going on in the Vatican then and now. <laughs> but these bulls are associated with the quote-unquote doctrine of discovery. That's an interesting s expression. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, and it's, it, it, this, These were the papal bulls, the statements that issued by the Pope at the time, that justified the colonization of indigenous peoples in Canada, but also actually the Americas as such, because at the mm -hmm. time, I'm not sure... That they knew much about Canada, and definitely Canada was not a country or even a thing. These bulls are sometimes referred to as, quote, the bulls of donation, end quote, or the papal donations of 1493. So it's been a while. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure people recognize these names, but I think a lot of people have heard about the content. Pope Alexander VI basically divided the New World into a Spanish and a Portuguese half, even though they didn't know how big it was. It was uh, <laughs> He just said, okay, you can have that, and Portugal, you can have the other, according to a line. What, what do you call those lines? Meridian? Meridians, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And this was, of course, a world just discovered by Europeans. Naturally, we know that there were a lot of people living there already, but the Europeans didn't care too much about that. Historians may debate how much difference these papal bulls actually made, because the kings at the time certainly didn't always obey the Pope, but it legitimized the atrocities that followed and that were carried out over the centuries, really, in both North mm. and South America. So we will see if, if um, Frankie will repeal these bulls a little bit late, maybe, but uh, <laughs> it's a symbol. I doubt that will happen this week. I do we want to bet on this show? I'm not sure. <laughs> I I sort of lean I think it's no more than 50/50 that he issues an apology and perhaps even less. Mm. But we'll see next week. Yeah. Because um <laughs> this was all I had for for this week and we will check back again in the next episode to see how it all ended. Yeah. Mm, good. Mm -hmm. Actually, going against whatever Pope Alexander VI has issued as a decree or a, a bull or anything, it has its merits in itself. 
<laughs> because he was probably the worst pope ever. But um, there are a couple of con- contestants there. Yeah, there. There are some to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that the division meant that basically the Western Hemisphere could belong to or was opened for conquer for the Spanish and the Eastern to the Portuguese. But to the Portuguese, that was a much bigger challenge. But they made it. They made it so far that most of Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. still has the marks of Portuguese occupation from that period. Right. Including countries like Malaysia, like Singapore and those countries. So it's really interesting. And also places in Africa, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. yes, And Brazil. There's quite a lot. Brazil sort of happened to end up on the eastern side, even if it's strange to think about that now. (laughs) Yeah, after a while, neither the Spanish nor the Portuguese could actually keep their conquests. So there came the Netherlands of, well, what what, what were they called back then? Never mind, but they... Holland? Came into the... the, um, Holland. I don't know. Uh, No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Flanders. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Flanders. Yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But never mind. But that area, they came in and they occupied some of the territories and then the English rise up to the, well, world domination, basically. So the whole map was reshuffled, but it started out like that. Yeah. Even Sweden had a small colony in what I believe it was in nowadays Delaware. It was just one town, really. And then they had to sell it for scraps after a while because they couldn't keep <laughs> keep it. Wealth. <laughs> Sweden, there were times when Sweden used to be quite an aggressive power, right? Yeah, so but you don't think the- of Sweden as a colonizing country. We we did a lot of bad stuff here in Europe, but... Uh, yeah, so you, you try to occupy a large chunk of Europe. <laughs> Just be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but back, back, that was back then in the 1600s. Right. And we apologize so. for it. Do you hear that, Frankie? We apologize. Did it actually happen? No, I am. I'm apologizing okay. now oh, on behalf of all Swedes. Yeah. Behalf, just to oh, set good, a good example good. for Frankie. Ah, uh, okay. It's good you have have so much authority. <laughs> it's well, might as well. <laughs> all right. All right, so thank you very much for poking the Pope once again, and uh, let's see what's going on in Europe. And what has been going on in the last week or so. Yeah, and something I didn't find surprising is that uh, Russian scientists are told to stay put now by the government. Stay put in or stay put? <laughs> Ooh, too bad. I don't Kinda know. Bad. It's a good dad <laughs> joke, Pontus. Yeah, I'm a dad. Um, He's a dad. Yeah. <laughs> Told to basically stay in the country. They were told to avoid scientific conferences abroad. So stay in Russia. Russian scholars were also suspended from working in international databases. Mm -hmm. I've actually got a quote by Minister Valery Falkov. Um, and he said, we're not calling for abandoning publications in Web of Science and Scopus, which are academic resources. And he says, Russia must remain on the frontier of global science, but we need to act in accordance with our national interests. National so, yeah. interests, yeah. Is that a paranoid government or what? Yeah, it, it sounds super paranoid. <laughs> they will, they will revert back to Lysenkoism in a while and do their own science. Well, it's actually what they are trying to do. They're trying to reduce Western technology for their economic and industrial needs. And Russian scientists that actually ex- exchange information internationally were faced with scrutiny already. Some of them were even charged with treason after allegedly handing sensitive materials to foreigners. So, yeah, there's paranoia talking, you know. <laughs> 
but that that basically kills scientific progress i mean sharing the information and being transparent about the information that's what drives science in a way yeah you can't do science alone you're not in a vacuum Yeah, exactly. And obviously, they fear that if these people go abroad, even to just to attend conferences, there is a high risk of them not never to come back to the country again. It's not much of a risk since no Aeroflot planes are allowed to land outside of Russia anymore. So they (laughs) won't go there anyway. Yeah, that's a a fair point. But it wouldn't be surprising because we had exactly that in East Berlin. Happening. Yeah, the Soviet era, the Soviet yeah. era, we had the same thing. That people cannot leave yeah. the country. They, yeah, like, they were not allowed. I think allowed. it's called the brain drain. And it, yeah, if if if, if people in, in like Russian scientists, if they can, they will probably. <laughs> well, yeah, some yeah. of them at least. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. But that's the only way they can control what goes out, what comes in. They try to control whatever scientists do as well i just had in one of my groups there was a person who's a physicist who works at the hungarian nuclear power plant that is being extended well with russian money with russian experts and all that but he says that some russian colleagues of his he works with they are so much into the whatever putin's giving them to eat up Mm -hmm. yeah they are being fed russian propaganda day by day and even though they are scientists engineers technicians who are supposed to be rational people they are prone to all that they they cannot avoid being affected by it This is going on in Hungary as well. I mean, all over Hungary, especially now that we are preparing for an election. I think I have mentioned on several occasions that Hungarian state propaganda is very much like what we are talking about regarding Russia. The similarities are so great that there are even things that we just basically translate and run on Hungarian state media coming from Russian state media. Okay, so the propaganda messages are being fed by the Kremlin to the Hungarian media. And that is probably because Orban in the last couple of years have uh, tied us very closely to the Russian government. One of the things that it was done through was the financial aid that we were given and the expertise with regards to the extension of our nuclear power plant. And also, there are speculations as to how there might have been some kind of deal made between Orban and Putin regarding the Transcarpathian people, who are basically Hungarian nationals living outside of the country in Western Ukraine. It's almost like Lenin got some of the borders wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. (laughs) Don't start a Um, war about this, uh, Anders. Don't start a war. (laughs) But then a couple of days ago, when there was a European Council meeting and Zelensky spoke up in front of the meeting in terms of Hungary's approach, because Viktor Orban is not willing to condemn whatever Putin's doing and condone the decisions, especially when it comes to energy-related decisions of sanctions against Russia, as well as denying the access to military aid through the country of Hungary. So some military aid cargoes have to go around the country. So even though the straight state up approach would have would be through the country, they don't allow that to happen. Hmm. Now, and this is what I wanted to mention here, now it looks like 
it only fueled the anti-Ukrainian sentiment in Hungarian state media. And not necessarily, but also if you look at the news programs in uh, Hungarian state media, they hint at the issues that uh, Hungarian nationals in Ukraine had for years because of the language law, which took away the possibility for Hungarian nationals to learn at school in their own languages because everything had to happen in Ukrainian language. Because of that, some people are so well-trained by the propaganda and so manipulated by the propaganda that there are lots and lots of people in Hungary right now who think that the Ukrainians can be blamed for the whole thing. They had it coming and a lot of people are actually, well, by I, I can tell you numbers because 25% in the Fidesz camp, according to survey. Fidesz is uh, Orban's party, right? Fidesz Orban's party. Yeah. So... 25 of them blame Ukraine for the conflict, and uh, only 44% of Fidesz voters consider Russian's military action as an act of aggression towards a sovereign country, whereas the opposition voters, a number at around 90% of those who think that it's an unacceptable military aggression. So this is how well-trained the Fidesz voters are in the country by... Russian and Hungarian state media. And this is a real cause for concern, especially with the upcoming elections. We don't know yet what it will look like. But, you know, when it comes to a 2018 median poll, 51% of Fidesz voters preferred closer connection to Moscow than with Washington. Hmm. That was already a concerning thing. But now that this war is going on next to our borders... It looks like the two camps are even more divided than previously. And there's an alarmingly high number of people who even think that this is something that the Ukrainians brought upon themselves and they deserve it. Hmm. So I'm ashamed of being a Hungarian national at the moment. Yeah. Hmm. That's tough. It is, is yeah. And, And just to remind people who may not have their geography quite... Up to date, because I don't always. <laughs> you do have a border to Ukraine. Hungary has. Yes, we do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so um, I guess quite a few refugees are coming over to Hungary as well, right? Yes. Well, hundreds of thousands of people right. have already come. Yeah. yeah. So that ties into the next uh, worrying news item here. And that is that only 50% of Ukrainians believe that vaccines work. Oh. So, talking about vaccinations. This is a couple of years old. Uh, this is according to a study carried out by the Wellcome Trust in 2018. So, it's not exactly new, but we can assume that it is more or less the same still. At the time, the Wellcome Trust were, and we were as well, mostly worried about measles because that was the big epidemic we talked about in those days. Remember those times? We talked almost on a weekly basis about measles for uh, yeah. uh, during 2016 and 2018, 2017. I remember those times. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. By the way, sidebar, I'm predicting, and I have said so before, that the measles epidemic will come back sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because vaccination programs have been hurt all over the world. But fast forward from 2018 to today, and we have 
all reasons to be concerned about the vaccination rates as Ukrainians are forced to flee their country. And it's not just measles that we're worried about, of course. According to the website Our World in Data, only 36% of the Ukrainian population have received one dose of COVID vaccination. And the number of fully vaccinated people, I, I haven't looked up, but it's of course even lower. So as over 3 million Ukrainians have already left their country, and we need to make sure that we give them their basic needs, many public health commentators are raising the alarm that we should not forget about vaccinations. And it's not just COVID, it's measles, as I mentioned, it's also polio and other diseases. And of course, this is an issue which is logistically difficult to handle. All these uh, refugees arrive in a, at once and you want to vaccinate them. But it's also an information problem because vaccines, for different reasons, are not very popular with many Ukrainians. This is due to misinformation and rumors of alleged risks with vaccinations. They are vaccine hesitant. A lot of them are, not all of them, of course. So the site, The Conversation, which we quote once in a while, they are now calling for an awareness of this extra dimension of the refugee crisis and that it is important that we give it a lot of focus because uh, otherwise we will uh, see epidemics in Europe, partly because of the arriving refugees, on top of everything else that we have to handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Wow. Actually, it did surprise me to read about uh, vaccinations in Ukraine that even though they were previously they were doing like um, 150,000 vaccinations a week, and now in the last month it was less than that. But it's surprising that they are even keeping up at this rate yeah. while they are being attacked. Well, it's a, it's a hell of an effort. <laughs> Must be. Yeah. Well, talking about efforts, we all know that some of the websites, some of the news outlets and uh, content providers have been blocked for uh, Russian users, right? Mm -hmm. um, as an attempt and um, as a result of uh, Putin deciding to cut the country off from the world's grid. But uh, since well, the internet doesn't work like that, that they cannot basically just shut everything down. Well, they could, but they wouldn't. Because of that, there is hope for some people. And yeah, it was expected that uh, many, many people will probably turn to solutions like uh, using VPNs, virtual private networks that can hide your IP. And uh, if you're lucky and it's not detected by the service provider, uh, the kind of traffic that it's characteristic to VPNs being used, then you could potentially access things from outside the country as well. But even though it was expected, not in these high numbers. So Deutsche Welle reports that there have been, in the last month or so, there have been millions of new VPN users appearing from Russia. That means that there are so many people interested in what's going on outside the world and not interested in state-owned propaganda. Hmm. And it's a very much of a of a feel good kind of news, right? That's so encouraging. That, that mm. yeah, it is encouraging. And there is another thing that I didn't even know of. There is something that is called Tor. That is a browser. Yeah, I've heard of this. You mean the the browser or the no the browser? Yeah. 
Okay, okay. So it's not that not the Nordic god. I've heard of him too. <laughs> or that, we're talking, <laughs> talking about okay. that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea whether it has anything to do with that. Probably programmed it with his um, hammer. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hammering <laughs> down on Russian propaganda. Uh, I believe there is a web browser that you can use for that, but you can also install a plugin to Chrome or Firefox, uh-huh. which is called the Snowflake Proxy. <laughs> That is being basically turns them into uh, this Tor web browser. And it has several layers of encryption. And that is how the local uh, providers cannot access your internet traffic. Now they say that that's uh, according to Deutsche Welle again, some 40,000 connections to Tor have been established in Russia. Well, that's so interesting. So, I've heard of Tor in connection with the dark web, and that sounds so scary. So I always stop reading when I get to that. But <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to hear that it can actually do some good as well. Just like an anonymous scam, right? Yeah, well, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 still scary. I mean, that, is, that yeah. level yeah. of power and that kind of power, it, it, it only makes you think because it, it only depends. So the outcome only depends on the intentions of the person in that right. position. And that is scary. Yeah. So Most things can be, be used both for good and bad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. So, but, so if you're a little bit scared now and feel a little bit uncomfortable, let's go back to... Uh, Classic and comparatively harmless skeptical topic for a while. Which is okay. still a bit spooky, though. <laughs> a little bit spooky, but it's not an immediate danger for, for everybody. So you can <laughs> sit, sit back and enjoy it like a like that. murder history or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is about the old mysterious Dyatlov Pass incident. Mm. For people who haven't heard about this or have forgotten, the Dyatlov past incident took place way back in 1959 in what was then the Soviet Union, today's Russia. The Dyatlov Pass is uh, pretty remotely in the northern Ural Mountains and it is famous for this incident where nine Russian hikers died under remarkable circumstances. Ooh, spooky. It's spooky. spooky. Three of them. Yeah, it, it is actually. So, listen... Grab a hold of something and listen. <laughs> Three of these people were found to have been killed by physical trauma. So they were badly beaten up or something like that. The other six were found outside their tent, scattered all over a wide area with not enough clothing, and they were dead from hypothermia. And, and some of their bodies were mutilated and was very, very, very strange. Much has been made of uh, particularly one fact that the tent was cut open from the inside, even though there was a perfectly working entrance to go through. And there have been other facts or rumors of facts that just seem bizarre. So there have been decades of speculation of, of what really happened that night. And they weren't found until a couple of weeks, I believe. So it was very difficult to find out what really happened. There has been speculations about secret military weapons being tested and uh, attacks by wild or strange animals. And, of course, aliens. It's always aliens. It is. (laughs) So there's been many attempts to find explanations, more or less fanciful. But the latest developments uh, point to a very natural cause, which is, of course, a little bit boring, but that's the way of the world. Most things are, are natural. There has been suggestions of an avalanche 
several times over the years, but it has been rejected over and over again. But a new investigation, uh, yes, people are still looking into this, looked at the possibility of an avalanche again, a special type of avalanche called a slab avalanche. That's not something I had heard about before, but a slab avalanche is unusual and it is caused by the top layer of snow being bonded together in a slab, which is why it's called a slab avalanche. And then that slab sits on top of a weaker layer. And the slab avalanche needs to stretch across a big area, and it has to be on a slope with an angle greater than 30 degrees. And that makes them unusual. So uh, two expeditions took place in 2021, one in summer and one in winter, and came to the conclusion that the area actually fulfills the geographic conditions for a slab avalanche to form. Local people have protested a lot against this and saying that they have never seen any avalanche in, in Dyatlov. But what do you know? A third expedition to the site, now in January, not only again confirmed the same findings as the previous expeditions, but they also even filmed evidence of two very recent avalanches in that pass. <laughs> so not only can wow. they occur, but they have now been proven to occur. So mystery is solved, and I'm sure everybody will now stop any speculations about the Dyatlov Pass incident. I'm th- I think you're <laughs> very optimistic. I'm kidding, it's yes. aliens. It's always aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's still interesting, and I, I really love how scientific progress and new, new things, new discoveries can lead to the solution of something like this yeah i mean yeah. isn't that exciting why can't we just accept it move on and be happy that we have found it yeah i know i don't know <laughs> yeah and with um this optimism of pontus i want to continue <laughs> with something that's also pretty positive because Good. we are right now witnesses of a slow demise of a certain thing and you will think now what like what demise is never a good thing well, it is in this case because we're witnessing <laughs> the slow demise of homeopathy. <laughs> Applaud that. As we all know, it's lacking evidence. We know that. Why should we celebrate that? Well, it's considered to be useless and it uh, doesn't have any evidence that it's working. And so the Association of Statutory Health Insurance in Bremen made a decision to terminate all selective contracts concerning reimbursement of homeopathic services. Wow. Ooh, and that's wow. a milestone. <laughs> if you have to pay stage. for your sugar pills yourself, uh, yeah, yourself now you do. maybe you won't um, be so happy to use them. Exactly, because <laughs> it was the problem was always that people were like, well, if it wouldn't work, why are we reimbursed then? <laughs> right, that, that's, exactly. the, that's a serious question, because if the authorities or somebody with some authority endorse something you get the impression that it has to go it has yeah, to work exactly and now of course like hardline homeopath will be it now be like well yeah they are pressing us and now you now we have to pay for it and blah 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, like i find that really fair because for example the glasses that i needed since i was nine years old there's a lot of evidence that they work Still had to pay for them 100%. Yeah, always. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's uh, why I'm actually pretty happy for that uh, decision. Yeah, a lot of people are, and others, as I said, are, are outraged. 
And because it's Bremen, Bremen is a city, like it's a city state, as we as we call it. Um, a city state. So I was just wondering, how big is this <laughs> compared to? It's not a federal state. It is a federal city in a way. <laughs> a federal city. Yeah, like in Germany, we have sixteen federal states, as we call it, but three of them are cities. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Hamburg, wow. Bremen, and Berlin. <laughs> they are like pretty much their own federal state in a way. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's it's a bigger city, but it's not like North Rhine-Westphalia or so. But it could like on a, on a legal level, pretty much it is. Yeah, but because it's only a city state, it's more a political sign than actually hurting financially, because it's not that many people that will now not be reimbursed. But it's an important political sign and. Mm. Yeah, we can just be hopeful now that other parts of Germany will follow suit. And the German health minister, the new one, um, actually said something really important that I, or really good that I want to quote. Ooh. Because Karl Lauterbach said, Science is used to fight pandemics and cure diseases. We need more science in treatment, not less. Homeopathy has no place in modern medicine. Wow, here, here. Well said. Yeah, it's going well yeah. here. <laughs> All right, it's still pretty new on the job, but I think it sounds good. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> new horses mm-hmm. uh, win the race, basically. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and that very good news will mark the end of our segment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we will still have to find out who's been really wrong lately. Yes, and we will actually stay in Germany and Karl Lauterbach will be mentioned once again. Yay! Yeah, but don't ruin that positive thing that we just had. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. But it's time for some classical Edzard Ernst material, and I can't let that go. So Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Go, we Edzard! Ha- <laughs> <laughs> we have mentioned from time to time the German concept of Heilpraktiker. Mm-hmm. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with dictators with very small moustaches. Heil, in this context, is related to heal, as in being a healer. At least I think so. Have I got that right, Annika? Yeah, but it is the same word because Heil in the dictator means that you want them to be unharmed. Ah, okay. So it's the same okay. word. <laughs> it's the same word, but Long in a live. different context. <laughs> so okay. you basically say heal Hitler. <laughs> yeah, so like in long live. Long live, Hitler. yeah, exactly. And we don't say that. Just no, to we clarify. don't. No, we're just referencing historical material. Okay. Yeah. In Germany, you can train to be a Heilpraktiker, which means that you can treat people to a large extent like a doctor, even if there are limitations. A Heilpraktiker focuses a lot on natural remedies, homeopathy, and things like that. Actually, when I typed in Heilpraktiker in Google Translate, it translated it to naturopath, but that's not exactly the same thing. So uh, Google, (laughs) Google gets it wrong sometimes, but it is about healing without real medicine, which is a contradiction in terms, actually. Anyway, the issue in Germany is that since authorities recognize this as a profession and uh, this this title is recognized, people may not be aware exactly what the difference is between a Heilpraktiker and an MD, a real doctor. But luckily, we have Edzard Ernst, and he um, recently looked into an investigation that was made and he went through the differences and what they are and they are huge first of all there are schools for high practicers of course 165 schools were included in this investigation 
But only one of every four schools in that investigation actually provide any practical training. The rest is only theoretical. And even worse, 83% of these 165 schools do not live up to the requirements set by their own branch organizations. So it's not good to begin with, and then they even do that badly. (laughs) It takes about 27 months to study to become a high practitioner. And that's, that's over two years. Sounds a little bit impressive. It's not too bad. It's not quite the six years it takes to become an MD, but still. But there's only one thing missing in this calculation. If you study to be an MD, you study full-time, which means in yes. Germany, 38.9 hours per week. The Heilpraktiker only has 7.4 hours per week of classroom yep. training. <laughs> so now we can see that there's a big difference. While an MD who is finished has around 15,000 hours of training behind him, plus internship, that's not even included, the Heilpraktiker only has about 600 hours. So that's about 4% of the number of hours in total. And that is only the best case scenario, because a Heilpraktiker doesn't actually have to show up for class. It's quite fine to self-study in books and... The only thing required to pass the actual Heilpraktiker exam is to get through a 60-question exam paper with multiple-choice questions. And then you sit through a 30- to 60-minute interview on case studies. If you fail, you can try again the next day. (laughs) (laughs) And once you get approved, you can open your practice and pretend to be a doctor. Isn't that great? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So my advice... If you go to Germany, or if you live in Germany, and you do need medical care, be pretty clear that you want to be taken to a real doctor. Because I think, and I fear, that a lot of people in Germany don't see a whole lot of difference between the two. No. And that is effed up. I know heaps mm-hmm. of people who are taking their babies to healing practitioners because they're like, yeah, yeah, well, they're not eating properly, so I'll just take them to this chiropractor. Yeah. For example, yeah, it's, right. yeah, it's it's very widely accepted. All right, so this very stupid and dangerous system of Heilpraktikers in Germany, they get today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. Mm. And Karl Lauterbach, get on it. This should not be happening. <laughs> Fix that as well. Take away the homeopathy. Take away the Heilpraktikers, and then we can talk. Then we'll invite you to the show. <laughs> yes. He, yeah, he is he's quickly becoming some somewhat of a hero. <laughs> well, he had to live up to it first. Eyes. We had we had great hopes for Jen Spahn as well, but didn't really deliver, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Do it, Karatoba. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the show, which is always marked by a quote. Yes. This quote is by Max Planck, German theoretical physicist and life from 1858 to 1947. And the quote is, scientific work will never stop and it would be terrible if it did. If there were no more problems, you would put your hands in your pockets and your head on a pillow and would work no more. In science, rest is stagnation. Rest is death. Mm. That's right. (laughs) It's a good point. It's a good point because science is a method. It's not a truth. It's not something that we have 
when we arrive at something, then we know everything. It, exactly. Science is a way of continuously investigating the world around us. Exactly. That's why you also yes. should allow people to participate on international conferences. Just saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just saying. Wink, wink. Yep. Yes. Putin, we know you're listening. <laughs> I hope he's not. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> Do you think? Well, he, someone might be who <laughs> 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 reports to him. <laughs> All right. We'll count it as an extra listener. No worries. <laughs> By the way, hi. <laughs> whoever you are out there same privet same privet очень хорошо okay but that really brings us to the end of the show <laughs> hopefully not forever <laughs> only until next week when we come back so Anika Pontus thank you very much for joining me today thank you thanks a lot and many thanks to our listeners as well including the Russian guy out there <laughs> please keep keep tuning in And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis slap. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then... Please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe chipmunk that started out well but then choked on a nut exactly <laughs> yeah or burped <laughs> are you nuts oh. so yes um what was i saying <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> it's about time we we learned who's been really wrong oh no 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 <laughs> okay okay Okay, 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 okay. Keep it together. <laughs> Keep it together, motherfucker. So. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Well, did, did he start, did he start uh, early December? When did he start <sighs> his job? I can't remember. I have, uh, <laughs> okay, cut that out. <laughs> Politics and me, Pontus, come on. <laughs> Yay. I'm blissfully ignorant. <laughs> um, Can you repeat it? Sorry. <laughs> I'm saying that. Heil in Heilpraktiker has nothing to do with with dictators, but with uh, heal as yes. in heal, <clears throat> uh, being a healer. Annika Pontus, thank you very much thank for you. joining me today. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs> you want to say that again? <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah.